0: These, these letters have been hard-hitting, um, and if you've been here for any of these sermon series, you know they've been hitting us right here. They've been hitting us right here, and really, what is God trying to do? God's going, look, I want to wake you up as a church today, okay? I'm going to use letters I wrote to churches in the past, and I want you to find yourself in these letters. So today, here's your mission, if you should choose it, okay? It's like Mission Impossible all of a sudden. Um, here's your mission, right? I want you to listen to this message. But I want you to be listen, listening specifically for where you find yourself. Where are you at in this letter, right? Because somewhere in the middle of this, God has got something that He's trying to say to you. If you got your Bible, I want you to open it up to the, the book of Revelation. That's the last book in the New Testament. We're going to be in the chapter. We're going to be in chapter three, and we're looking at the church called the Church of Philadelphia. Now. For some of you that don't claim to be Bible scholars, okay, we're not talking about the church that's in, you know, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, all right, I just want you to know that right now, we're not, for scholarly people, we're not talking about the church that's in the city of brotherly love, right, or where the Liberty Bell is, or where the Independence Hall is at, for foodie kind of people, we're not talking about the the Church of Philadelphia where the Philly, you know, cheesesteak sandwich comes from, people, Anybody excited about that? Or where Philadelphia cream cheese comes from, which, by the way, fallacy came from New York, FYI, in case you ever need to win $10,000. All right, for you sports people, we're not talking about the church that is from the city where the Eagles are at. Are you movie people? Because I know I got some movie people here. We're not talking about the church where the movie Rocky was made. Adrian, right? We're not talking about the the, the city, right, where uh, the movie National Treasure is made. We're talking about a church that resided in modern-day Turkey in an ancient city called Philadelphia. Let me give you a little background about these people, okay? These guys, um, these guys were a small group of people, and they were battling against some pretty harsh comments. They were, they were battling against the bombardment from a Jewish community that was telling them, this Jesus that you're following, he, he's not the real deal. He's not what they called the Messiah, the Savior who would come that would liberate the people, right? The the Jewish people were still looking for a Messiah who would come as a physical king. Jesus never came to be a physical king because he was the king of the universe. why, Why would he lower himself to sit on the throne of a man when he sits on the throne of the universe, right? So Jesus came to liberate humanity. Um, from our from our sinful state, and so Jesus came with that idea, and the Jewish people were looking for someone completely different. So the Jews kept telling the church of Philadelphia, "You guys are losers. You're nothing." They would they would harass them, uh, they would bully them, they would try to manipulate their mind to try to think differently than what they were, telling them that, "Hey, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're never gonna make it to heaven." I don't know about you, but after a while, if you just keep hearing those words day after day, week after week, month after month, they start to wear on you, right? They start to weigh on your heart. They start to weigh on your head. They start to weigh on your thoughts. You start to doubt like, Am I really following the right person? Does, does Jesus really have my back, right? Because I'm a small group of people. Does he really have my back? Here's the good news. Although these people, the church of Philadelphia, they they never abandoned their faith in God. I just know this about people that are in that state of mind. Everybody needs a word of encouragement from time to time to let them know, hey, you're on the winning team. I don't know about you, but all of us need that from time to time, right? You might be the Energizer Bunny where you don't need it. But I'm telling you, if you've got a heartbeat, you need to be reminded, especially when it seems like the odds are against you, that look, you're on the winning team. Every year in Omaha, there is a large gathering of people that hold Berkshire Hathaway uh, you know, stock. And uh, every year they come and they want to hear from Warren Buffett. And about 30,000 people, they estimate, come and they fill up hotel rooms and they, they're there for the meetings. It's a, it's a big deal. I used to live in Omaha. Uh, A number of years ago, the hotels started catching on to this, and they started price gouging. And they started raising the price of rooms over this period of time that the Berkshire Hathaway people are there, double, even triple, uh, quadruple the cost of what a hotel room would cost. When Warren Buffett found out about this, he was a little ticked off. And he decided, you know what, I I can't go talk to every single hotel entity about who we are and what we're doing. And, you know, I don't want to go down that route. I'm going to go a different route. And he decided to contact Airbnb. And he said, hey, look, I'm thinking about endorsing you, Airbnb. I'm thinking about telling my people that when they come, they should use Airbnb, you know, instead of these hotels. What do you think about that? Airbnb was like the endorsement of Warren Buffett. This is incredible, of course. He goes, well, you better, you better get to work because you guys are gonna need more properties. And so Warren sends out a notice to all of his shareholders. I believe it was 2015. Hey, when you come to Omaha, use Airbnb. Airbnb used the backing of Warren Buffett and they doubled the amount of properties in the Omaha area. And they also saw a surge of people wanting to follow them, people wanting to be a part of them nationwide. Why? Because the name Warren Buffett had their back. I'm gonna tell you today, no one can stop you if you're backed by the right person. Nobody can stop you if you're backed by the right person. And the Church of Philadelphia, they needed to have a word of encouragement to be reminded, hey, I'm Jesus, and I have your back. And that's exactly what they found in some of the very first words that were written to them from Jesus to this church. And I love how Jesus knows exactly what people need. In verse 7, he says this, This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. When what he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. There's three things here that Jesus says to the church of Philadelphia that he's trying to say to you and me today about himself. First, he's holy. Holy. Like you go back to the Old Testament, and the Old Testament uses the word holy to define the title of God. What does it really mean to be holy? It means to be separate from sin, separate from evil. So Jesus is going, look, I'm set apart. I'm not like anyone else. There is no evil in me. There is no sin in me. I'm perfect in every way to be holy is to be God there is no one else who is holy no one's walked on this earth that is holy no one who ever has been or will come is holy Jesus being God is saying I am the only one who is perfect separate from sin I've, I've created all things so what is Jesus trying to say to these guys he's trying to say to them look there's no equal to me I don't care what those Jewish people are telling you right in that city." I don't care that they're trying to manipulate your mind. I don't care what they're saying. There is no equal. I am God. No one will ever be equal to me. Guys, I want you to know today, Jesus is holy. He has no equal. That's good news. That's good news. Jesus also says this. He goes, look, I'm not just holy, I'm true. What does it mean to be true? It means this. It means to be genuine. It means that Jesus is going, look, I'm the real deal, guys. There is no fake. I'm not fake. I'm the real deal. Like, you can sell out to me. You can count on me, right? I'm genuine. I'm true. Have you guys ever noticed what a um, brand-new bride does with that brand-new diamond ring that is on her left hand? You ever seen, you ever watched a brand-new bride with her brand-new diamond ring? It's like when she talks to you, she doesn't use the right hand anymore to illustrate things. The right hand gets put in a pocket, The left hand is out like this, and it's like, do you understand what I mean? (laughs) If you're out in the sun with a brand new bride and a brand new diamond ring that glistens and it's been cleaned, I mean, she's out there and she's just moving those fingers, letting the sunlight just glisten off of it, and you're like, ow, 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 and she loves that. She loves it. She knows that it's inappropriate to eat with your hands on the table and with your elbows on the table. Some of you men need to hear that, by the way right? Inappropriate to do that, but she doesn't care. Like, for the next month, month and a half, two years, her hand's out in the center of the table while she eats. You see what I'm saying? Like, when she swims, if she swims, the hand's above the water. The hand's, this ring's not getting in that water. No way. And when she's got it up here, it's just like fingers are flailing. She's proud of that ring. Can you imagine what would happen if two months, two years later, all of a sudden she found out that the diamond in that ring wasn't real? Hey, I'm just going to tell you guys right now. My wife and I, we decided, look, we're not going to spend our money on a real diamond. And together we decided we're going to put a fake stone in there. But for some of you men, if your wife thinks that it was a real diamond you put in there and she finds out later it's a fake, watch out. Like, you're going to have to dial 911. Something's going to go down in that house. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is telling the church of Philadelphia, guys, Don't worry. Don't worry what others are telling you. I want you to know something right now. I'm the real thing. I'm the real thing. And guys, today, if you're searching today, right, you're seeking, is Jesus the real thing? I'm telling you right now in his own words He's the one who's telling you. It's not my opinion. It's his words. He's telling you, look, there is no fake about him. He is the real thing. You can sell out to him. You can trust him. You can put your faith in him. He's saying, I am true. And to prove it, to prove it, Jesus says this. He goes, look, to prove it, I have the key of David. And then all of you were like, wow. Because right now you're sitting there and you're going, what in the world does that mean? How does that prove anything that you've got the key of David? I only have a clue. What in the world does that mean? Well, look, he's making a statement that he's tying back to a scripture that was written 800 years before the book of Revelation was ever written. In Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, it says this God wrote this in his word I will give him the key to the house of David. Watch what happens here. What does the key of David mean? Means the highest position in the royal court. When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. When he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, look, you need to go back if you want to know like really what's going on in this passage, because it's it's quite interesting and it's super simple to understand. Because it's talking about another man who's been given this. Right, But that's not my point today. My point is to draw your attention to this, that the holder of the key of David held the highest position in the royal court. Here's what that means. Other than the king, the one who holds this key has all authority. What is Jesus then trying to say to the church of Philadelphia? And what's he trying to say to you and me today? He's saying this, I have been given all authority. I am holy, I'm true, I've been given all authority in heaven, And on earth, nothing is equal to me. Everything is below me. I have all authority. That's what Jesus is driving home. Today, you and me need to know this. Because if you don't know who Jesus is, the rest of this letter, it all starts to fall apart. That's why the church of Philadelphia starts out by this revelation of who he is. But Jesus says more about the keys that he holds. In fact, he said this in chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 18. He goes, I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. Watch what he says next. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. I have all authority. Here's good news for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, when you get to the gates of heaven, guess what's going to happen? They're going to open. Here's the reason why. Because the one who holds the key opened it. And if he opened it, no man can ever close it. That's good news for you who are followers of Jesus Christ. Warning to those of you who have not surrendered your life to Christ. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, right, you show up to those same gates. Here's what you're going to find. The gates are going to be locked. Because what the holder of the key locks, no man can open. So you don't get to stand at the gate and go, yeah, but I'm good. Yeah, but Jesus didn't open the gate. Yeah, yeah but I was kind Yeah, but Jesus didn't open the gate. Why? Because you didn't open. He stood at your heart, the Bible says, and He knocked at your heart's door. He could have barged right in. He could have used the key and just manipulated you. He could have used the key and turned you into a robot, made you modern-day AI spiritually, but he doesn't do that for humanity. He gives us the choice to follow him, and he stands at the door of our heart, and he knocks, and he goes, you hold the key to your heart. Will you open the door, and will you let me in? And for those who open the door and they let him in, he opens the gate of heaven, and no man can shut it. And guys, that's good news. That's hope. The church of Philadelphia, what were they hearing? They were hearing this. Hey, Jesus has your back. And when Jesus has your back, guys, there's a faith that stirs up inside of you that causes you to go, I can move mountains. There's a faith that stirs up inside of you that says, I can face any adversity that comes against me. When you know that Jesus has your back, man, you'll charge in to some of the most dangerous situations in life and come out victorious. Well, look, this church was a faithful church, and they were doing some amazing things well, and I think it had a lot to do with the fact that they really did know who Jesus was. But let me highlight one of the things that they were doing well, one of those things that we really should try to model in our own life. In verse eight, it says this, that look, Jesus said to them, look, here's what you're doing well. You you guys have little strength, yet you obey my word, and you did not deny me. A, A lot of people have misinterpreted that passage and they said look you had little strength that must mean that you you were like you fell short in your spiritual strength like like you were immature in your spiritual strength or maybe you were new in your spiritual journey but that's not what Jesus was saying at all no Jesus wasn't talking about their spiritual condition Jesus was talking about their numeric condition hey guys I know that you have little strength, that you are a small group of people facing some very big odds. I know you're a small group of people trying to climb a very big mountain. I know you're a small group of people, but you don't allow your size to act as an excuse for why you can't serve me. It was a beautiful encouragement to them. It reminds me of a modern-day wolverine, all right? And I'm not talking about the movie. I'm talking about the animal, all right? I used to live in Alaska. I've seen wolverines, Right? In their adult stage, they're somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, 35 pounds to 55 pounds. Now, that's a pretty small animal, right? But it's vicious, it's ferocious. They've got claws like razor blades, they got teeth that will chew through anything, right? These guys are intense, but it's not their size, it's not their claws, it's not their teeth that's impressive, it's their attitude. I mean, do not get on the bad side of a wolverine they won't stop coming after you, right? They will get their focus on you and they will hunt you down. I mean, you can go on YouTube right now, YouTube Wolverines, and you can watch a Wolverine taking down a caribou. You can watch a Wolverine trying to attack a moose. You can watch a Wolverine taking a black bear on face to face, right? Wolverines have been known to steal the meat away from bears. These guys are intense. They prove the point in all of creation, right? That size is a state of mind. The Philadelphia church, they were small. They didn't have influential people in their congregation. They lacked resources. But these guys were ferocious, and they were faithful. They obeyed God's word. They didn't deny knowing Jesus, even though they were seriously outnumbered. And we got to do the same. We gotta lay down our excuses. Lay lay down our excuses for why we can't be all in for God. We gotta lay down our excuses for why we stopped growing at a certain spot spiritually. We gotta lay down our excuses for why this thing of our life doesn't belong to God. We gotta lay down our excuses. We, we, We function with way too many excuses before God. And God's going, look, I, I, it doesn't matter to me where you came from. It doesn't matter to me how old you are. It doesn't matter to me how long you've been in the journey. Don't use excuses for why you're not growing anymore. The church of Philadelphia, they weren't using their excuses. They were just a small band of people facing insurmountable odds. And for you and me, we got to lay down our excuses and just go, look, I'm going to live for God. It's a choice. We have to choose to put Jesus first and not look back. That's what the church was doing. It would be good of us to model that same kind of tenacity. Unlike other churches in these letters that Jesus was writing, you know, to these, to these other groups of people, uh, Jesus didn't have any rebuke for this church. He didn't have anything that they needed to change, but he did have something that he wanted to challenge them with, and that's what I love about Jesus. Jesus doesn't let us to sit stagnant. He's always pushing he's always shaping he's always trying to move us into the image that he created you and me to be i love that about jesus jesus doesn't miss an opportunity to challenge us to live for him just a little bit more and he doesn't miss the opportunity with the church of philadelphia and he's not going to miss the opportunity with you and me today either in verse 11 this is what jesus was saying to them and he might be saying this to you look i'm coming soon hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. There's three things right here that Jesus uses to challenge this church. First, he says to them, look, I'm coming soon. Don't lose heart. Like, don't, get, don't get like weary in doing good things. Don't, don't, don't back down from what, from what you're pursuing. Like Keep the hope. Guys, for you and me, I don't know about you, but I've grown up in church all my life, and I've heard my grandparents i probably heard my great-grandparents, even though I don't hardly remember only but one of them. But the lineage of my family, I've heard my grandparents and my parents and their friends say, Jesus is coming soon. Uh, There's people in this church that I deeply respect that are many times older than me. Hey, Jeff, don't don't lose heart. Jesus is coming soon. Guys, I've heard that for all my life. The next generation has been hearing that if they've grown up in the church. And if you didn't grow up in the church and you're just hearing this, that Jesus is coming soon, you might be thinking to yourself, well, he should have already came. This world's crazy. And because we hear these types of things and because we think Jesus should have already come, then we assume that he's not coming. And I just want you to know something today. Jesus is coming. He is coming. He's coming for those who don't back down. He's coming for those who remain faithful. He's, He's coming for those who don't lose heart right he's coming for those that's that's part of the reward he's going look don't don't lose heart i'm coming secondly it's a reward though secondly he says this like look, look hold on to what you have don't slip away keep seeking me and he's saying this to them and he's saying it to you and me right now he's going look don't get lazy in your faith don't get distracted in your pursuit of me don't try to coast in your commitment to Christ. Look, look, I got a warning and good news. It's all wrapped up into one big statement. But you don't coast your way into heaven. Heaven is a climb. It's not a coast. Heaven isn't one of those moments where you surrender your life to Jesus and now it's all downhill coast from there. No, heaven is one of those things where you surrender your life to Jesus and you go, I'm committing to the uphill climb. Christianity. Christianity is not for the weak. Christianity is for those who are willing to submit themselves to the fight. Christianity isn't easy. Christianity is hard. Following Jesus isn't just about the good, soft, fluffy things. Following Jesus is about enduring the hard, difficult things. That's what following Jesus is. And if someone has blindsided you, if someone's lied to you, And they told you, follow Jesus, everything gets easier. I'm here to tell you, follow Jesus. You have hope, doesn't mean things get easier. You have life, it doesn't mean things get easier. So you don't coast your way. Jesus is telling us, hold on to what you have. Don't slip away. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for us today. And he says this in the last part of his challenge. She says, look, don't let anyone take your crown. What does he mean? Don't let anyone take your salvation. Don't let anyone lie to you and deceive you and cause you to miss the mark. Like, Look, if you, if you won, if you win in some kind of like sporting event and you are found out that you were cheating, guess what they do? They take your reward. They take your crown. They take your trophy away. If they find you're cheating, that's what they should do. If they don't, they're just weak leaders. But that's what they ought to do. The best example, a cra- crazy example of this, happened in the 1904 Olympics that took place in St. Louis, Missouri. Right, it was during the marathon. The marathon race, it was like a 24.85 mile marathon race. And this guy named Fred Lors. Fred Lores was from America, and he was competing, in it. and he, the, the gun goes off, and the runners start out of the stadium, and about nine miles into this, like, 24-mile, 25-mile run, Fred starts cramping up, and he can't run anymore. And, and so he starts walking, and he realizes, man, I'm not going to even be able to finish this thing. <clears throat> and about then, one of the, the newer vehicles, right, <laughs> comes, putzing by, and he stops him, and he goes, hey, can I get a ride with you? And for the next, this is no, this is a true story. For the next 11 miles, he rides in his vehicle. He passes runners. To some of the runners, he even waves at them. Like, ha, 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 that kind of a thing. After 11 miles, the cramps subside. He gets out of the vehicle, he keeps running. Guess what? Fred comes in first. He finishes the marathon in under three hours. The stadium erupts, right, that the American has won. President Roosevelt's daughter is there. She puts the wreath on Fred. The place goes crazy. They're cheering. It gets to the awards moment, and she's putting the bronze medal on and the silver medal on. And she goes to put the gold medal on Fred, and someone yells out, Cheater! And they're like, what? What, what did he do? And when they found out what he had done, they took the wreath, and they took the gold medal from him. Just because you were once close to God does not mean that you can live however you want and set your own rules and keep the crown. No one, no one is going to cheat their way into eternity with God. Nobody. God knows when you jump in the vehicle and you take the shortcut, right? God knows the excuses that you've made to try to cheat your way in, to try to lie to yourself, to try to tell yourself that this is okay. I, I know, I know that God's word says this, but it's okay for me. God will overlook it. God's a loving God. I'm going to tell you right now, God is a loving God, but God is a just God. And if the gates close, the gates closed, and no man's going to open it. The only way we open is by surrendering our heart to him and recognizing, God, I have cheated my way into a relationship with you right now. I'm cheating my way through life right now, spiritually. Lord, I'm, I'm cutting corners. Lord, I'm doing things I shouldn't do. And, and we have to repent and surrender our life to him. We can't lose our way. We can't get sidetracked. We have to remain faithful, church. All right? And to all of the churches and to this church, Jesus says, look, if you remain faithful, then there's a reward that I have for you. Right? And he has a reward for this church as well. There's two things that he says. In verse 10, he says this Look, you remain faithful because you have obeyed my command to persevere. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Look, look here, here's the reward. I want you to know today, church, it's not just in this statement, but it's in multiple places in Scripture. There is a time of tribulation that's coming. There is a time that God promises that, look, things are going to get worse than what they are right now, right? There's going to be times of great distress, times of great pain, times of incredible sorrow. But here's what Jesus promises to those who remain faithful, to those who keep seeking him, to those who hold on, to those who don't lose the crown. What does he say? I'm going to protect you I'm gonna protect you from those times of tribulation for those who persevere, who persevere. What does it mean to persevere? Just keep doing the right thing in the face of a difficult situation. Keep doing the right thing in the face of distraction. Keep doing the right thing even though the reward hasn't come yet. Just keep doing the right thing. That's what it means to persevere. And if we persevere, Jesus says this, I will protect you. How do you persevere? Can I just give you two quick secrets about perseverance? First, prayer is essential to perseverance. Right? Prayer makes your heart more passionate for God. Prayer, prayer helps you to know God in a more intimate kind of a way. Prayer is like the fuel for perseverance. Why? The more you pray, the more you know God. The more you know God, the more you want to fight. For the God you you love. I don't mean like fight in a physical way. I'm talking like fight spiritually. To stay in a relationship with him. Prayer, it gets you closer to God. The closer you get to God. And the more you sense his love. The more you sense his love. The more you want to fight to hang on to that. Perseverance. To battle through when time's when times are difficult the battle through when it seems like the world came crushing down around you the battle through when all of a sudden like life took a wicked left turn perseverance keeps you in the game prayer is, a, is essential to that here's another secret to perseverance you're going to like this right? it's taking small steps towards god every day the small steps towards god every day it's not the leaps and the bounds It's the faithful, God, I'm in your word today. It's perseverance. God, I don't feel like it, but I'm praying today. Perseverance. God, I got a really bad attitude today, but I'm going to show kindness and love to others. Perseverance. It's when others others jump in the car and they get sidetracked because they're cramping up, you press through the cramping up to find the muscle again. You discipline yourself you press through those difficult moments life may have brought you down for a day but you rebound the next day why because he is our source of hope our source of strength he is the reason why we live and breathe and have our being in our way simple small steps that's perseverance Here's the second reward that he says to those who are faithful and are victorious and overcome. In verse 12 he says, look, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God. And they will be citizens in the city of my God. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. I love this picture that Jesus goes, look, If you're victorious, if you hold on, if you don't let anyone take your crown, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of this, Jesus making you spiritually stronger than you ever could make yourself. Jesus causing your faith to be like a strong pillar when it seems like your faith is like a toothpick. I get it, guys. There are times when that's how I feel. But you know how Jesus sees us? Jesus doesn't see you as that weak toothpick. He sees you as that strong pillar. That's how he sees you. That's who he's creating you to be. And that you and I, if we are faithful and we remain with him, will one day be in heaven with that strong faith. He builds it in us today. He establishes it in us for eternity. I love that, but watch this. Watch what he does here. I love what he promises here to every single person who hears me. You surrender your life to Jesus. You submit your heart to him. Here's what he says he's gonna do. He's gonna write the name of God on you. You're gonna become a citizen of heaven. And then he even says this, I'm gonna write my new name on you. You know what, we get that here in Nebraska. We understand it, right? Because what do we do with cattle? What do we do with cattle? If you're a rancher, you know what you do with the cattle that are yours. What do you do? <laughs> Seems brutal. Seems brutal, but you heat that, you heat that iron up and then you brand that cattle. And when you brand that cattle, guess who? Guess who that cattle belongs to? Forever that cattle belongs to that rancher until that rancher decides to do something else with that cattle. Here's what God says about you who submit your heart to him, who remain faithful, who persevere, who hold on to the crown, who don't back down, who, hold, who, who keep fighting the good fight. Here's what he says. I'm gonna tattoo my name upon you. I'm gonna make you a citizen of my, my eternity. I'm gonna put my new name upon you. I'm forever declaring you are mine. No one can take you from me guys, that's good news. That's who our God is. That's what he wants from you and me. So what should we do today? Well, man, look, we should turn from anything that's trying to pull us away from Jesus. If there's something in your life that's pulling you away from Jesus, that's distracting you, can I just suggest this? It might be good, but it's distracting you from the great. It might be something that you could even argue and go, hey, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. It's part of my responsibility. But it's pulling you away from your first responsibility. If there's anything that's keeping you from being all out, sold out to Jesus, flee from that thing. Repent of it. Lay it down today. Don't keep it when you walk out of these doors. Keep persevering in your faith. Don't let anyone take your crown. Hold on to the faith that you have. Like Jesus said, hold on to the faith that you have. Don't let anyone take your crown. Lastly, Jesus is coming soon. So can I just suggest this for you? Make sure that Jesus' name is firmly written on your heart already. You don't hold the key of David. You aren't second in command in all of the universe, although some of you think you are. Jesus holds that key. You hold one key. It's the key to your heart. If you open up your heart and you let him come in, he'll write his name on your heart. I'm telling you, that's where you start. For some of you, you need to open up your heart again. You need to let him come in and clean out some of the cobwebs. You need to let him put a new paint job on. You need to let him lay down some new carpet. (laughs) Because we're doing that right here at this campus right now. That's kind of fresh thought. need to let him come in and do some remodeling of the heart. I don't care how long you've served him. Open up your heart and let him come back in. Invite him in to your life today. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, today your word is faithful and it's true. It speaks to us. It divides the good from the bad in us, the light from the dark in us, the truth from the lie in us. And Lord, I just pray this about your church today that's here. Lord, when I look out at this congregation and I consider those who are at all of our other campuses, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, these are some amazingly wonderful people. But Lord, being good and being kind and being thoughtful and being polite, that, that's not what gets us into heaven. That's not what makes us that strong pillar. That's not what gets your name written on our heart. It's when we surrender to you, when we lay down on our, our agenda and we open up uh, the door of, the, of, of our heart, which is the only key we possess, and we allow you, to Jesus, to, to come in, write your name on our heart, reorganize the priorities of our heart, bring back to life the old things of our heart, So when we let you do those things, that we are truly alive. Lord, may this church have heard your word today. May we submit to you. May we say to you, God, Lord, would you stir our hearts and would you write your name upon our hearts. And would you help us to hold on to the faith that we do have. Would you allow us to lay down our excuses. And Lord, let us hold on to that crown, that salvation that we share with you. And cherish it in such a way that no one is ever able to steal it from us. So today, we press into Jesus, the hope of the world, the Savior of our souls. Lord, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus, we press into you and we let you, God, fill our hearts with hope and with life that we will pursue you with all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.